G'day, 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 and welcome everyone. That's our resident scaredy cat, Kate. And that's the horror junkie, Dominic. And you're listening to Shit and Bricks. A podcast where we talk shit about some scary stuff. The sort of fear your asshole knows about. As always, subscribe, rate, and review us. And don't forget to follow us on social media at Shit and Bricks Podcast. All right, drop your dax, pop a squat, and let's get into it. <laughs> what are you drinking, Kate? <laughs> oh, no. Uh, you got me. I'm having a Four Pillars Rare Dry Gin and Tonic. What's wrong with that? That sounds amazing. Well, I mean, it's Monday. <laughs> <laughs> it's 5.30 on a Monday. Do I need to be drinking? Sure. Yes. I was cooking, though. This is the thing. I had just started cooking uh, a meal. So I just thought a drink would go with it. I have no judgments here. You <laughs> can do whatever you like. Thank you. <laughs> I drink quite regularly, so. <laughs> and I have a sneaking suspicion. Some of our listeners do too. Are no you drinking way. as we speak? I hope so. <laughs> Hi, Kate. Hi, Dom. How are you? I'm so good. I'm so good. I was waiting for that. I was like, every other episode I've listened to, the past however many, I've just been chattering, 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 and then you've always got to interrupt me. So I, f- I was trying to, like, pair it back. I found it very uncomfortable. No, don't ever <laughs> pair it back. That's not what the kiddies come to listen to. That's so true. Just my non-stop jibber-jabber. <laughs> that's another T-shirt. We were talking about T-shirt designs, and um, that's one. My non-stop jibber-jabber. jibber-jabber. <laughs> and uh, 36 VH Holdens stacked on one another. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I need to create that measurement scale. Of course. How foolish of me. Perfect. So we're on a roll already. Yeah. Rolling, rolling, rolling. <laughs> What's the rest of the song? Um, keep those dog doggies? Ponies? <laughs> Donkeys? Donkeys? I don't know. I need to watch the Blues Brothers again. Um, guess what? Guess what? I've got an episode for you today. I'm so ready for this because we've all listened to Dominic and his split stories, probably a little too much, and his travel. For those of us that are in Australia, it's freezing cold. and Oh, it's so cold. We don't need a reminder of it. So no. how Do about you know, we take a tea break from Dom? Oh, I mean, but I mean, I love it. and But that's a good thing is that all of our listeners right now, if you don't want to have a break from Dom, you can go back and listen to 15 other episodes that we've done and... <laughs> Dom's sweet, soothing sounds will go into your e-holes. Anyway, <laughs> I realised how cold it was because, um, as people may know, I'm a, I'm a teacher and you know it has, like, turned cold mm. when you walk into school and, like, ten kids are wearing the correct uniform and everyone else is just wearing whatever hoodie or like. jacket or tracky pants because they're like, oh, my God, it's cold now. We actually don't know how to how to dress properly so we'll just wear whatever we've got it's not about what looks cool it's about what is functionally (laughs) warm exactly and it's so hard because uh, you know kids will come up to me i'm like dal none of what you're wearing is uniform there's not one logo on any of this and they're like oh i was cold i was like oh i know it's okay bye (laughs) don't don't call them out oh which i really should i'll try whatever um so You've got an episode for us. I've got an episode. And this may or may not be, it will be, part of a series of episodes. (laughs) Um, I was going to maybe keep it it a secret. Maybe it will be, maybe it won't. I mean, but usually when we put out the episode title, and this is going to be called Wrong Place, Wrong Time, Part 1, people might guess that there's another one coming. (laughs) Yes! So, yeah, a little bit of a series. Uh, Now, I went on a Google rampage a little while ago and uh so i've had these episodes in the in the can sort of ready to go for a few weeks so i'm excited to share them because i've read these stories a few times uh but i went onto a website and there was uh a article on cracked.com and Mm -hmm. it was five real horror stories ordinary people got trapped in and i said that sounds like a perfect website to read for (laughs) stories for our podcast (laughs) so i went on there and there was, a, there was a few and I'm only going to tell you one today because it is, it's in depth. 
I had to go through, uh, just as an idea, we write our, you know, podcast episodes down. My current episode today is 13 pages. Uh, but prior to that, it was 26 pages. So I've cut it in half from the original information and the original article that I was looking at. Um, don't let that scare you. Please continue to listen. I won't keep you for longer than our usual <laughs> episode. But that's just a bit of an insight into, you know, how much work we put into our episodes and how long it takes. This story is called... I'll stop you just before you do that, Kate. <laughs> just to Oh, my do... God. I'm so sorry. I forgot. We talked about this before the episode too. Oh, I'm getting a slap on the wrist. No, it's totally fine. I just didn't want to ruin the surprise of the story title. We're going to make people stay that little bit longer. <laughs> but quickly, I will do our BooPod shout out of the week um, yes. to Spilling the Crime. Uh, Umberto and Jonas... Uh, two of the cutest, sweetest, little, lovely little human beings. And um, they're so, so funny. They do like big mainstream media type stories. You probably have seen a lot of their stuff on, um, you know, Netflix and other streaming services. So they Netflix. do all like the big case stories. Yeah. Um, but they do it in such a funny and cute and witty way. I wish I was half as witty as their pinky. So, uh <laughs> We'll be quick. Here's their promo. Go check them out. Rate, review, subscribe to them. Say hi to them. Check out their socials because their socials are next level fun and cool. Uh, so here is Spilling the Crime. Boopity boop. boop, boop. <laughs> hey, guys. And welcome to Spilling the Crime, a true crime podcast hosted by me, Umberto Mello. And me, Jonas Grancha. Join us in this big adventure where we will be talking about crimes with a tipsy twist. How this crime happens, I want to know what the fuck is the unwrapped chocolate. Her name is Sharma Melgenlings. Magma. Magmar? Magmar Meningitis? What? Where's the dick, Lorena? Where is the dick? Oh! Yes. Are those your enemies? <laughs> Are they after me too? <laughs> Do you ever feel like a plastic bag? <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> and then he masturbated on the carpet. <laughs> Dangerous I mean, yeah, questions. No, yeah, yeah. Why? <laughs> we do not agree with this. <laughs> Carl said that. Don't copyright. Like what? Don't copyright us. Don't copyright us. Yes, please don't block us. So grab your glass, cause this feeling is about to begin. <laughs> Yay! We finally did one at the same time, and we did, cause I was gonna say boop it a boopy, but yeah, I'm glad I didn't. I stuck with my origi. All right, sorry, Kate. Let's get straight back into what's That's the title so of your story. The title of my story is "The Perils of Pearl and Olga." Oh! And, I mean, do you know them? Have you heard of Pearl, Olga? No. Okay. I wear pearls, but I don't know her. Beauty. Do you wear Olga? Hmm? <laughs> Only if she's lucky. Um, all right. So this is an article from the New Yorker magazine, uh, which was written by a gentleman by the name of St. Clair McKelway. Oh. Now, this article was published in 1953. So some of the language is a little bit 1953, but I've left it because it gives the, the article its flavor. Yeah, um, old-timey. Yeah. All right, let's hear about Pearl and Olga. Who are these babes? On the morning of December 31, 1946, two young women, among many other people, got on a subway train separately at the 55th Street station in Brooklyn. They sat down across from each other in the car as the train moved off towards Manhattan. They'd never met, they'd never spoken, but their lives had been drawn together and the entwinement was a sinister one. Oh, love. They were both working girls, not like that, they just had jobs, uh, and more than ordinarily attractive. One of them was tall with pale, clear skin and large, dark eyes and shining black hair. She was 28 years old and her face, besides being beautiful, had an interesting, troubled look about it. She had noticed that the other girl was carrying a gift wrap package about the size of a large shoebox. It had an aperture at one end from which protruded what looked like the lens of a camera. Without thinking much about it, she wondered idly what kind of gift was inside that package. The other girl was barely 19. She was small and blonde. Her name was Pearl Lusk. Only a week earlier, on the day before Christmas, Pearl had found herself disillusioned with New York and its ways. 
but that mood hadn't lasted long. Now, as the subway train jounced and clattered along, she felt excited and happy. She held her gift wrap package carefully on her lap with both hands. Every now and then, she glanced briefly at the tall, dark girl across the aisle, as if to make sure she was still sitting there. Except for two things that happened to her on Christmas Eve, Pearl Lusk had been pleased with New York ever since she came to the city to seek her fortune, and she told everybody that. She'd arrived in the autumn of the same year of 1946, our birth year, Dom, Mm-hmm. Uh, some months after graduating from high school in Quakertown, not far from Philadelphia. For a while, she lived with her mother and her stepfather in Brooklyn. But as soon as she got a job as a sales girl in a department store, she moved to a furnished room all on her own on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. What a little pants. She's only 19, <laughs> like she's a little baby. It's kind of cool making shit happen for you at such a young age, but... Absolutely. Yeah, what's she got a camera in a box for? Is she taking photos of uh, people's skirts? We might be finding out soon. Okay. Uh, but we'll see. Maybe not soon. I've still got 12 pages to go. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she did over both herself and the room almost at once. Who doesn't love a makeover? <laughs> she made friends quickly with many of the sales girls at the store and she lunched at the soda fountain every day and she dined in the cafeteria almost every night with large group of groups of them. Pearl was a well-brought-up girl and never went out with a young man to whom she'd not been introduced, no matter how handsome they might be. Same, Pearl. Good for you. I wish I had that same (laughs) (laughs) restraint. If if they're really handsome, you're like, whatever, I don't care. Uh, That's fine. Treat me bad. (laughs) (laughs) On Thanksgiving Day, a man whom she considered the most handsomest she'd ever seen, except for certain movie stars, tried to pick her up on the subway in Brooklyn when she was going to see her mum. Although she talked to him in her amiable way, she refused to have a drink with him or to give uh, him her name or address. He told her his name was Alan LaRue. Afterward, from time to time, <laughs> do you like that name? Alan LaRue. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's cute. Hi, Alan. Um, <laughs> I collect butterflies. I do parkour in my spare time. Parkour. Um, <laughs> but he is super handsome, which is cute. Uh, afterward, from time to time, she thought somewhat regretfully about his good looks and romantic name. But on the whole, she was glad she hasn't, hadn't consented to go out with a stranger. I'm sorry. Every single time I use the phrase on the whole, it oh. makes me think of Austin Powers. <laughs> and I can never get through it. Yes, on the whole, preparation H is good. <laughs> I can't believe that I even missed it. Like... <laughs> I'm just a child. I'm an absolute child. We love um, it, Kate. Do you know what? I even practiced that line so that I wouldn't <laughs> so that I wouldn't laugh. It was never going to happen. It's like a fart. I'll always laugh. If you seldom happens. not laugh at it. <gasps> not laughing. Uh, okay, so she was a little bit sad that she hadn't consented to go out with the stranger. What with the crowded lunches and dinners with the chattering gangs of sales girls, the occasional dates with fellows she'd met at the store, she was contented and occupied. Then, on Christmas Eve, after only three months of her new life, uh, the department store laid her off, along with batches of other sales girls, because the Christmas rush was over. Poor Pearl. Mm. Now, this eliminated Pearl's salary and her social life. Uh, The department store and her landlady were unwittingly preparing Pearl for her next encounter with the handsome stranger that she had once fended off. She ran into him for the second time in a subway train in Brooklyn on the evening of the day after Christmas. So Boxing Day. When she was on her way back from her mum's and this time she agreed to get off with him at Times Square and have a drink. She ordered her favourite, which was a Scotch whiskey and 7-Up. I wonder what that's called. I should have looked that up. Uh, She told him about losing her job and he was sympathetic. Later on, she remembered that his manner had seemed to change subtly as they chatted over their drinks that evening. He seemed interested in me like any other man at first, she told the assistant district attorney. But the more I talked, the more I felt like he had some different kind of interest in me. At any rate, after she talked for a while, the man said that he had a job for her if she wanted it. He told her about the work and she was enchanted. Uh, Alarm bells, alarm bells going off. Red flags. Trust you got Pearl. So Pearl's seen this, <laughs> Pearl seen this guy for the second time. She's jumped off the train and had drinks with him this time. So that's, you know, I mean, good for her. But uh, oh, I, wonder, yeah. I wonder what the job is. 
besides being the handsomest man that she'd ever seen off the screen. Don't forget, she'd seen more handsome man. <laughs> I love that we keep <laughs> clarifying he's not an actor. He's, he's not, not on the screen. He's just a regular man, but he's super duper handsome for a regular man. Uh, <laughs> yes, besides being the most handsome she'd ever seen off screen, she thought Alan LaRue was by far the best dressed. He had on a double-breasted grey suit with widely spaced pencil stripes and sharply pointed lapels. His white-on-white shirt had a collar with extra long points and he wore a striking blue tie with a flowered design in ivory and gold. That is nice. I'm getting real Henry Hill vibes. Yeah. As this airs, shout out to Ray Liotta. uh, Yeah. Because he's like, he's 60. That was devastating. So that that outfit gave me big, big Henry Hill vibes. Yeah, Uh, part of the whole, yeah, generation of such great film. Absolutely. Like, he was an intense actor, but yes. Yeah. So, before the evening was over, Pearl had enthusiastically accepted the job. Her employer was calling her Pearl, and she was calling him Alan. Mm -hmm. Pearl jumped out of bed early the next morning. She was to meet Alan around the corner from a building at uh, 42 42 West 39th. Is that how you say it? Yep. Okay, great. Uh, There's so many numbers and names. I don't don't know. Uh, At half past nine. She was anxious to get uh, started on her new job, not only because it was a job, but it sounded really, really exciting. So Alan had told her that he was a private detective working for an insurance company uh, that um, specialised in insuring jewellery and consequently recovering jewellery that had been stolen. He had reason to suspect that a young woman named Olga, who was a private secretary, to the owner of the Croydon Hat Company, had stolen some valuable jewellery from one of their clients and she was carrying it around pinned to the inside of her clothes. The Mm. woman knew Alan by sight and for that reason, Alan said that he couldn't risk being seen by her because then she might have been, you know, she might have suspected what he was up to and she might stash the jewels somewhere else or, or dump them or sell them. And he couldn't ask the police to arrest her until he could prove that she actually had the jewels on her. Pearl was going to help him prove that. And he was going to tell her how, when she met him that morning. So Alan was waiting for her when she got there uh, and she later reported the conversation. He said, here's what I want you to do. You're going to go to the office uh, and there's a receptionist and her name is Miss Sadie White. Um, You need to ask for her. There isn't actually a Sadie White, but you know, while you're talking, you'll get a chance to look at Olga So you need to make sure that you would know her when you see her again. She sits just outside the door that leads into the private office of the owner. Here's a picture of her. Then Mm. he took out a picture inside his coat pocket. And yeah, he basically went on to say, look, I want you to make sure that you see her so that you'd be able to recognize her, especially in a crowd, like in the subway. And then you're going to follow her around when she leaves this afternoon. Now go up there and then meet me here afterwards and tell me if you think you can recognise her good enough to tail her when she leaves. This is interesting. Like, this is very detailed. It's giving me, like, Mr. White, Mr. Green, Mrs. Peacock. It's like Clue. It's some weird shit. It is. And I like it too. So the, the author of this article, as I said, the article was significantly longer. But, again, printed in 1953. So it was a real sort of investigative piece so it's really well written and that's what I enjoyed about it so I wanted to include as much detail as I could without you know talking for nine hours so um yeah I really I really enjoy it now Pearl carried out this mission and competently rejoined Alan she told him that she would now know Olga anywhere and that she'd memorized not only the clothes that she was wearing but her street coat and her hat which were hanging near her desk Pearl's pretty smart so she's picking up on this you know private investigator gig quickly Uh, that's great, said Alan. Now, I'll tell you how we're going to work this. And don't forget that there's going to be a big reward in it if you get those jewels back. You take most of the day off, go to the movies or something, but don't tell anybody about this because there are leaks all over this racket and it might get back to Olga. She leaves here every afternoon at five. You meet at my apartment at 204 East 17th Street at half past three and I'll show you exactly how we're going to prove that she's carrying those jewels. My goodness. Time for a break. Yeah. But like what a you know, she she was a saleswoman, right? And now all of a sudden she's wrapped up in this thief 
scandal mystery thing. Like, of course, if you're 19 years old, you are going to be very thrilled. And, I mean, it sounds like he's not a creep so far. There hasn't been much creepiness going on. It's like yeah. he's I mean, a he's genuine... Doing his job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> he's a private investigator. Like he needs someone to to help him out. And obviously, they had met previously too. So it just sort of happenstance, as she's saying, when they met, and she started explaining how she'd lost her job. You know, he started acting like he wanted something different from her. So I feel like he just put two and two together, and he goes, you know, double whammy. I'm taking this bird out. She's really pretty. I'll take her for a drink. But oh, she's lost her. I need someone who's not going to be sus, who's not going to yeah. appear threatening. Now, I mean, yeah. it's all very believable so far. I want to hear about this Olga Bird and LaRue's <laughs> not off the not off the hook yet. <laughs> Old Alan LaRue. Uh, so that day, Pearl went and saw a movie. Um, she called some of her friends and uh, who were still working at the department store and hung out with them. Then she went to Alan's apartment and she showed up right on time. There he showed her an interesting object that he said was an X-ray camera. It looked like a shoebox with the hole in one end and it was done up with brown wrapping paper like an ordinary parcel. A short piece of wire with a loop on the end of it hung out of the bottom of the box. Alan said, all you do is point this at her and you pull this wire, then the x-ray picture will show us if she has the jewels. But don't take a picture where she can see you do it. Uh, Take it when she gets off the train in Brooklyn. And obviously, you know, if it's an x-ray camera, you're not wanting to take photos of, you know, all the other bones of people that are in the way. Um, who knows what they've got in their pockets. Uh, Alan went on to say, you, you want to be right behind her when you follow her out of the train so you can take it at close range. Yeah. You want to be two or three feet away um, and then after you take it, uh, meet me where we had drinks last night and I'll take the picture to go and get developed. Yeah. So Pearl's thrilled. She's gone back to 39th Street. She sees Olga as she leaves the building. She follows her to Times Square subway station. She sits near her uh, until the train reaches 55th Street Station in Brooklyn. Then she follows really closely behind her as she gets out. She points the box at her. She pulls the wire. She hopes she's got a good picture. So she catches the train back to Times Square and Alan was waiting for her in the bar and grill. He questioned her carefully as to just how she'd taken the picture, how close she got, uh, whether Olga had noticed anything. And Pearl told him that she wasn't more than two and a half feet from Olga when she um, snapped the picture and that Olga hadn't noticed anything because her back was turned and she was hurrying out of the station. So Alan said, okay, I'll get the picture developed tonight uh, and that Pearl needed to go to his apartment in the morning and he can let her know how it turned out. Simples. So she seems to have done a good job so far. Good for you, Pearl. But when Pearl went to him the next morning, he said the picture hadn't turned out well at all. And he said, I think the camera is an issue, um, so I've got to get a better one and it's going to take me a couple of days to get a better camera. Uh, so call me here in three days and I'll let you know how things stand. Interesting. I'm so curious to, I mean, of course the picture didn't turn out right I, or this would be a very short story. But Yeah, oh, the what? picture turned out well. They yeah. got her an insurance fraud. Thanks, bye. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like... What what's uh, what's our old mate Alan getting out of this whole? Is he got a like a sexual fetish for the bones of women? <laughs> well, I figure as well. I mean, if she has stolen jewels and she's carrying them around, or 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 you know whatever the case may be, if he's a private detective, no doubt for an insurance claim, he would get a a significant payout. Yeah. For for that. Uh, now, um, Pearl called Alan a few days later, and he told her that he had the new camera and he wanted her to meet him at a laundromat in Union Square at 8 o'clock the next morning, mm-hmm. the morning of December 31st. Pearl was punctual. She found that the new camera was bigger and a little bit heavier than the other one, uh, and it had the same sort of loop wire system, and it was wrapped uh, like a present. So it had Merry Christmas and Happy New Year printed on it. Alan said that he wanted her to ride over to Olga's station in Brooklyn and pick her up when she got on the train to go to work. Then she was to sit near her in the subway and when she got out of the train at Times Square, take the picture exactly the same way that she had done with the other camera. Remember to aim it low at her waist, he said. That's probably where she's carrying the jewels pinned to the inside of her dress at her waist. Pearl did exactly as she was told. When the train reached Times Square, she followed Olga through the door, pointed the parcel at her and pulled the wire. There was a roaring explosion and the parcel nearly jumped out of her hands. Olga screamed and fell on her back, holding her left leg, which seemed to have been nearly blown off. 
a subway guard rushed up asking what happened, what happened? And Pearl, who had been so close to Olga that she was spattered in blood, said to him, I just took a woman's picture and somebody shot her. A man in the crowd put a tourniquet on Olga's leg and a policeman appeared and grabbed Pearl, ripped open the parcel and quickly saw that inside was a sawed-off shotgun. (gasps) Then Pearl at last put two and two together. She began to cry with the patrolman holding her arm. She leaned over Olga and said, I'm awfully sorry I shot you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, sorry, I put a couple of shells in your hip. I'm awfully sorry I shot you. There was this job, you see, and I thought I was taking your picture with an X-ray camera. Olga looked up at her and quickly looked away, at if she's considered Pearl's role in this drama unworthy of her attention. Speaking to nobody in particular, she said in what seemed to those who heard her a tone of resignation, well, he got me this time. Now, if he wants me, he he can take me. I'm crippled. I wonder what happened to the police. He must have been too smart for them. What <laughs> the motherfuck? I mean, this Olga, she is some, she's made of some steel. She's just, you know, she's just been shot with a shotgun yeah. on her hip and she's just lying there going, oh, well, got me this well, Tom. He, got me. <laughs> he bloody got me. So how did we get here? That was my question when reading this article. It was like, hang on a minute. Yeah, okay. Wow. Where how are we? <laughs> so... Uh, you can see why we're calling this wrong wrong place, wrong time. Now, during the last two months of that year, it turned out that Olga had told her story to the police many, many times. Mm. And she told it again and again later on, occasionally in the presence of stenographers. The transcript of one of of Olga's statements, uh, there was lots of them. Mm. And one of them goes a little bit like this. Now, I have significantly edited this transcript it goes for pages and pages uh and it is lots and lots of questions but for the sake of our story today i don't want to read you the whole thing uh this just gives you a bit of a snapshot of how olga has decided oh he finally got me whilst lying with a leg blown off at times square station so (laughs) if you do want to read the whole transcript we can post a link for this article um in our socials but Here's the crux of it. So, Did you just say the crutches of it? Because that is completely inappropriate. <laughs> Poor Olga walking around with one leg and here's you cracking wise ass jokes. Oh, bless. Uh, okay, so this is a conversation obviously between a detective and Olga. When you were married, Olga, what was the name of your husband? His name was Alphonse Rocco and we were married about a year and a half ago in 1945. Did you separate from your husband? Yes. And when were you separated? Uh, about April of 46. And where did you live at that time? I lived in Brooklyn. Who did you live with? My parents and my sister, husband and daughter. How far is your home from a subway station? I'd say it's about four or five blocks. Now, sometime in the early part of 1946, in October, after you separated, did you go and meet your husband? Yes. And where were you when you went to meet him? I was on the West End Express going to work and there you were employed at the time. Uh, And where were you employed at the time, rather? At the Croydon Hat Company. Uh, In order to get to your place of business, what station do you get off? Times Square Station. Uh, So you would get on at 55th and then go to Times Square. Great. Now, when you were going to work uh, in October 1946, you were on one of the trains and it was there that you met your husband? Yes. Did you talk to him? Yes. Were you feeling well on that occasion? No. After you talked to your husband, what, if anything, did you do? We got off at 9th Avenue, crossed over and rode back to 55th Street because his car was parked at the exit of the station. He offered to drive me home so I wouldn't have to walk because I wasn't feeling well. Seems nice enough. Yep. Did you get into his automobile? Yes, I did. Did he drive you home? No, he did not. Where did he go? He drove to Manhattan. If what, if anything, did he do in the automobile? Well, he had a knife uh, and it had a little button on it and he pressed that knife and a big blade shot out and he pressed it up against my throat. Did you get try and get out of the automobile? I asked him to stop the car so I could get out. Did he stop the automobile? No, he would not. What did he do with the knife, if anything? 
He held it up against my throat and said he would kill me if I screamed or if I cried too loudly in the car. Mm. Now, where did he drive to? He drove toward the Manhattan Bridge and we went over that, then on the highway near Riverside Drive, then towards uh, Poughkeepsie. What happened in Poughkeepsie? What did he do? We stopped at a tourist cabin. What did he do then? He had the knife in his pocket and he said that he would kill me if I said anything. How long did you stay there? Two days. Did you stay there at your own free will? No, I did not. Then they go on to discuss that Rocco had a whole bunch of other weapons that he carried with him. Mm -hmm. So he had a revolver. He had a shotgun. He had his knife. Uh, So, yeah, basically held Olga against her will in Poughkeepsie in the country in a a cabin for a few days. Yeah. So he uh, would threaten her through this whole time. He would, you know, sort of drive her back and forth but then he went to go somewhere else to buy more guns and then drove her back and then again kept her at her own free uh, kept her against her own free will for an additional five days so she's been gone for like almost 10 days at this point um so he doesn't seem like an altogether happy chappy you know no, like he's not there's a he's not a yeah, he's not a good candidate for married at first sight, that's for no, sure. I don't, or maybe he, he, I don't know. I don't really know that show, but I've heard there's some interesting characters. Wasn't there a guy called Grant Crap? I don't know. I don't watch it either, but I it just. I don't watch it, but I just it, loved it. If that's yeah. your name, that's great. Um, okay, now, time passed after the Poughkeepsie incident, but then on November, in November fir- on November 1st, yep, good job. Uh, Olga was at home and she was setting the table when she felt a sharp sting in her right leg. She felt uh, bent down and felt it and saw that it was bleeding. Then she had a closer look and she saw that she had two holes in her thigh. She had been shot. What? So like with a silenced pistol slash gun slash something, she didn't hear a shot. She just felt her leg and she had a flipping gunshot wound is this Olga like a terminator or something i know she's just like oh that hurt um (laughs) so she goes guns going off again (laughs) she goes to the hospital and she was there for 10 days and then she told the coppers it had to be my husband like i've just been held in poughkeepsie for two weeks and now i have bullet holes in my leg i'm gonna throw it like i'm gonna hazard a guess that was my husband um so when this had happened. She was in hospital. She got released from hospital. The remainder of the transcript goes on to describe a lot of what Rocco continued to do. So in summary, he called her every single day at work, three, four, five times a day, just constantly uh, threatening to kill her. Uh, Olga was in touch with the police and mm. explained all of this. So she was really on top of it. She kept telling the police, hey, guys, Rocco's not okay and he keeps threatening me. Um yeah, calling my work all the time. She would occasionally see him or think that, you know, think she was seeing him on the subway platforms and in the stations. He was following her on the way to and from work all the time. He was just a real piece of shit. So he was, yeah, constantly harassing her and just being a garbage person, really. Yeah, and we have to remember, like, this is 40s, 50s, right? It's a very different time with domestic violence and all that sort of stuff like you know the level at which police would get involved in any sort of domestic abuse or violence cases it was despicable because you know it was as marriage is a sacred thing blah 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 women are meant to do what men are meant to what what they say like all this sort of crap don't want to hear about it you know i have it i have like a feeling that these cops even though it sounds like they're taking transcripts and stuff are not really giving yeah. much of a shit and are like well what can we do what can we do yeah that's so true and i think that was the thing too is like they were like well and at one point they do agree to sort of like escort her home but there's only mm. so much they can do like it, it's so difficult because he you know has done this stuff but it, yeah it was just very difficult for them to really kind of help out in a real like i can't drive her to and from work every day no exactly that's not their job of course Um, escorting is going to help her in that one at one instance but totally um now so on uh, december 31st on the uh the day of the subway incident so when olga got shot the police asked her the following all right now the doors open at times square station then what happened 
And Olga responds, well, I took about three or four steps walking towards the 40th Street exit and all of a sudden I heard a very loud blast and felt a very sharp pain in my left leg. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Her pain threshold is off the charts. Like, yeah. She's just like, I heard the bang first and then felt the, yeah. Uh, and then I bent down to sort of hold it, hold my leg, and reeled over and fell on my back. And then I remember people running toward me and I remember a gentleman bending over and I remember a girl and that girl was Pearl Lusk. I remember being put on a stretcher and being carried up the steps. And I also remember being in the ambulance when they took me to the hospital. I was in the emergency room and I remember they cut off my clothes. And then the next morning they cut off my leg six inches above my knee. Oh, so she's had a time. Jesus. Yeah. Like, this is violent. Mm. This is... And, uh, you know, bloody Pearl, how's, how's her mental health going? Oh, tell me about it. So, I mean, now that you ask, <laughs> after the shooting, <laughs> Pearl was taken to the West 30th Street station house where she told her story and she was shown a photo of Olga and Rocco that had been snapped in a nightclub before their marriage. In the, uh, I'm glad there as well that he wrote snapped, not shot. (laughs) They had been shot in a nightclub before they're married. Uh, In the photograph, Rocco was grinning expansively and dressed in a pencil striped suit, a white shirt and a flowered tie. He looked happy and prosperous. That's Mm. the man, said Pearl. He even has the same clothes on. (laughs) Oh, get in his suit. Old mate's got one suit, one tie, (laughs) bloody... A hankering for guns. It's working for him if he's managed to marry this beautiful woman, Olga, and yeah. and everything, and now he's snapped up Pearl, Little who, Pearl. by the way, he's not on television. He's not in the movies. He's but not. He's, he's a handsome, looker. but he's handsome for a regular person. Yeah. He's not handsome for a movie star. That's different. Yeah. Um, okay. So, naturally, what happened to Rocco? What's going on for this whole Where's Rocco? scenario? Where's Rocco? Hello, uh, 90s cartoon <laughs> Rocco's connection. Rocco's modern life. Oh, that's going to be our TV week or TV slash movie for the week. It's Rocco's modern life. Done. Um, bring it on. So the police were looking for Rocco, obviously. So Pearl has gone back to the station. She said, I swear I didn't know. <laughs> I thought I was taking a picture and I blew a lady's leg off. So somebody go find someone else. Tell Rocco to, to cop, cop this one. Um, so while they were looking for him, they tried to find out as, about as much of, about him as they could uh, because neither Olga or her parents could tell them very much. All they knew that he had met Olga at a dance in Brooklyn in 1944 and he married her after a brief courtship. Now, remember, they got divorced in 1946. So this relationship didn't last a particularly long time. No. Uh, he would disappear sometimes for weeks. And then he would return with lots of spending money. And uh, as often as not, a new car. He was fond of hunting and camping. Uh, and once or twice went away by himself for a weekend in the Catskills, taking along a shotgun and a sleeping bag. Okay, that is the worst bio on Tinder. You, if you ever see yourself go, I love to go up to the Catskills for a couple of weeks at a time with a yep. shotgun. And... Perfect. Hunting, camping. I have yep. one suit. I come back <laughs> with a different it. car. I don't know how that happens. Exactly. Now, Oof. he never talked about his background and he was super vague about what he did for a job. So oh. Olga is married this guy. She doesn't know what he does. He disappears at weeks at a, like for weeks at a time. Comes back with a new car and wads of cash. Like red flags, babe. Like it's, He must be it's hot as fuck. <laughs> he must be. He must have a super dick or something. Like he just yeah. <laughs> I don't know. And this is not me. I'm not at all victim blaming here. No. <laughs> this is like oh, what's Olga to know? She's not to know. She just yeah, she he has a super dick. What's she supposed to do? Um, now, what is in Olga's favour is that uh, she left him after some violent arguments yep. because he was super jealous of her um, and she was like, nah, I am done. So a couple of violent quarrels, as written here, yep. uh, she left him and then he began telling her that if you leave me, I will come back and I will kill you. Uh-huh. So he wasn't very nice, basically. 
Um, it's not so, really a great um, argument, by the way. Um, you're never going to win someone back by going, well, if you don't, I'm just going to kill you. <laughs> I'm going to kill you. If oh, someone okay. ever says yeah, that to sure. you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, cool. Well, those are my alternatives. I leave you and live happily ever after or stay with you with the possibility that you'll, you'll still try and kill me. <laughs> yeah, but okay. if you kill me, then I can't be with you. Oh, oh yeah, oh, maybe shit. I shouldn't do that. <laughs> I actually didn't even think of that. You just explained it. <laughs> oh, I'm not very good at this. Okay, so the police discovered that Rocco had been in the business of stealing cars. So he would steal cars in Manhattan and then he'd drive to the Bronx and he would sell them. Mm. Uh, he had been arrested for that and he did serve a term at um, the Bronx County Jail. So mm-hmm. he had a criminal record. But that was that was it though. It was just for grand larceny or what? No, it's not larceny. Grand theft auto. Yeah. Sure. Um, is larceny money? Stealing money? Larceny, yes. Okay. Uh, so the probation report made on him at the time. And I, oh, I really love this description. I love a 1953's description of a criminal. It's so great. Bring I want it. one of these. The probation report made on him at the time that his parents had died when he was a child, that he had been brought up in orphanages and foster homes. He denies the use of narcotics and does not drink to excess. The report went on. He admits sexual promiscuity. Big dick energy. Uh, He is not a member of any organized social group and states that he has few friends. He is inclined to be self-condemnatory and thinks he received a poor break in life. He attributes his actions to the lack of helpful guidance from his elders. <laughs> mm. I'm going to use that next time I shoot someone in the leg with a camera <laughs> in a box thing. Um, he was pleasant and agreeable and showed no unusual reactions or ideas. He appeared to be of dull to normal intelligence. <laughs> the report quoted a statement from the psychiatric ward at Bellevue Hospital, which said that Rocco was not insane and not mentally defective, average intelligence, no delusions or hallucinations, emotionally cheerful. Oh. <laughs> so that's his, that's his bio. That's, um, it's, it's a little bit more promising than um, <laughs> the previous one. but oh. It is, exactly. All right, so six days after the shooting in the subway. So Olga is in hospital, missing her leg. Rocco is missing. Pearl is under arrest. They're trying to search for this guy. They picked up his trail in the Catskills. Camp, camping guy, uh, where riding in a stolen car, believe it or not, he forced a number of farmers at gunpoint to give him food. So oh. eventually, yeah, they were like, I will give you food. You don't need to point a gun at me. Like, leave leave me alone. Poor farmers. Here's that average intelligence rearing its <laughs> ugly head again. <laughs> but he was emotionally cheerful. <laughs> and quite something to look at. <laughs> <laughs> but not like movie star handsome. No, 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 like no, not on television. handsome. Yeah. Uh, 50 state police and two New York detectives found his car. <laughs> Sorry, I just got the vision that there's 50 police and two New York detectives just driving around together. Yeah. Um, they found his car on the side of the mountain road and soon afterward discovered Rocco in a sleeping bag under a spruce tree. Oh. It was night and there was snow 10 inches deep. So he's just... Having a snooze in 10 inches of snow in a sleeping bag. An icy kip. Why not? Yeah. Now, the police called to Rocco to surrender and a police officer then fired a warning shot into the air. Mm-hmm. Rocco fired four times in the direction of the flash and then he was killed when the police opened up fire. Yeah. So 52, 50 state stadies and two detectives versus one not so much movie star handsome fellow. Yeah, don't you know guns save lives, Kate? Yes, I do. That's like a whole series of episodes in and of itself. But anyway, Rocco died, um, and among the things taken from his pocket was a print of the photograph of Olga and himself in the nightclub. Yeah. So he has taken that photo. He's obviously just obsessed with Olga. Um, Poor girl. Yeah. Now... To sort of, you know, wrap up the the end part of this, Pearl and Olga actually became friends. Yes, they did. Motherfucker, I knew it. Yes, they did. 
And at the time of this article being published in 1953, so this is in 1946, 47, yeah. they were still friends. So they were still seeing each other occasionally, like years after the fact, years after she had been caught up in all this mess and shot someone's leg off. Oh. Um, Pearl was married and she was raising a family in 53. Um, Olga barely, oh, I don't know why I laughed at this every time I read it. Olga barely manages to... <laughs> 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 What it's really she? not even funny. I don't know why, but this is what she chose to do. So Olga barely manages to earn a living selling costume jewellery. Oh. <laughs> so she's just at home making costume jewellery, um, but she wasn't quite making a living. And I don't know why I found that funny. I just... But do you know what? It ties the jewellery thing a little bit back. It, does, it just makes that story a little bit more believable. If why is Olga wearing or got all this jewellery on her? Yeah. Oh, maybe she was. I didn't even put that together. Oh my god, you're so you're so clever. This is why we do this together. Because oh. I miss all these ideas. And if only Olga lived in our time and she could have had an Etsy store, all yes. that sort of stuff. Oh, now in the sense of uh, compensation, Olga did try to um, sue the police for neglecting to protect her from Rocco. A so fucking she men. wanted some compensation for the loss of her leg. Um, the case came up in the New York County Supreme Court in the form of a suit for $200,000 worth of damages brought by Olga um, against the city of New York. So not the police force specifically, but the city of New York. Uh, the trial lasted for five days and was presided over by Justice Joseph A. Cox. Uh, on the day, Olga hobbled to the witness stand on crutches and told her story once more. Various detectives corroborated those portions of it that had to do with her efforts to have them protect her from Rocco. And Pearl came and told her story again as well. So mm. Pearl was, you know, backing up Olga during this, this case. The city of New York, represented by Assistant Corporation Counsel William F. Miller, made no effort to deny or obscure the facts of the case. And Justice Cox, after hearing all of them, dismissed Olga's claim. Nobody denied that the police department had been informed that Rocco was trying to kill Olga. If Rocco himself had followed her into the subway and shot her, Olga might have conceivably had a case against the city on the ground of police negligence. But as Mr. Miller argued, that was not what had occurred. He seemed to find it difficult to settle on an adjective that adequately described the scream, the scheme that Rocco and in his jealousy had thought up. He couldn't figure out how to describe that. There was absolutely no legal duty on the part of the city to this plaintiff to afford her any protection from Pearl Lusk, an unidentified, unknown individual concerning whom uh, no one knew anything, concerning whom it is not even attempted to be claimed here by the plaintiff that the police department had any notice. That was Judge Cox, Justice Cox's, you know, deliberation of the fact. And I don't, it's, it's difficult. You know, I'm all about her being compensated. It's but it's challenging because the police weren't to know that Pearl was like how it's so mind-boggling the scheme to have yeah. a gun in a box. Uh, so certainly, if Rocco had have walked down onto the platform and and done that himself, she might have had more of a case. Unfortunately, in the eyes of Zalua. So Judge Cox is living up to his name and being a yeah. little bit of a dick. What a dicko. I think if they had a picked up Rocco before he had a chance to recruit an unwitting assassin, well, you know, maybe... Could he have been charged for kidnapping? Like, we're going through that transcript in yeah. my mind again. You know, kidnapping, he's threatening her life. He he, sh he shot her through the kitchen window. Like, she was just setting the table and then she had holes in her thigh. Like, there was a fair bit to go on. Yeah, I think there was a fair bit to go on. And in case anyone was wondering, $200,000 in 1946 in today's money is $3.3 million. Oh, shit. So, That's amazing. Anyway. That's so much cash. Look, feel bad for her. Should have got some compensation, but I understand it's a pretty... It's why you're doing the story, Kate. Wrong place, yeah. wrong time. Like, this is some weird shit. Precisely. So, you know... I feel as though Pearl was really the sort of one at the wrong place at the wrong time. You know, like Olga, naturally, she was the one who actually got shot. But at the same time, Pearl had like zero idea of what was going yeah. on. Even Olga was resigned to the fact that, you know, she got shot in the leg. She's like, oh, Rocco, classic Rocco move yeah. that. 
taking my leg off in a subway station with a box of Christmas gifts. Um, so yeah, it was definitely a, it jumped into my brain as a wrong place, wrong time, unfortunate scenario with the serious horrific consequences. consequences. And, uh, yeah, that was just, it's kind of kicked me off because I think as well, and I usually talk about this and I'll, I'll go into a little bit more detail in our next episode, but one of the central, uh, things that we discuss on this podcast is what scares people most is not having control yeah, and not having any ability to, you know, put themselves in or out of harm's way. And this is the ultimate not being able to know because you're just in the wrong place at the wrong place. It's just so, bad fucking luck. Like yeah. you cannot control luck. Well done, Kate. This is like the best way to kick off what I think is going to be an amazing series of podcasts. And there's so many, I'm sure, wrong place, wrong time stories. So I'm really curious to hear what you have to share with us next week. Well done. So next week will be a little bit different format wise um, because there's, I want to try and get through as as many of these because they're all equally great. That one deserved its own episode because of how much detail was in that article. Uh, again, that was from the New Yorker magazine, an author um, by the name of Sinclair McKelway. We will post the, the, the link for that because I just, I flat out just read that um, from, from there. I edited a little bit, but that was awesome. Next week will be awesome. Let's just keep it going. Yay. And for our listeners, as you know, we are launching our Patreon very, very soon. I know we've talked about it multiple, multiple times, but Kate and I have actually agreed on a date and it's happening, happening. Yay! So please tune into all of our socials because we're actually going to be doing a little bit of fun giveaway games, cool shit for those that uh, get involved. So, oh my goodness, we are so excited. You should be excited. So please go check our socials out. Make sure to rate and review us and share us with your friends. We need all of that stuff because it makes the biggest difference for us. Totes. So, and thanks for listening. Well, yeah. I don't think we thank you enough as listeners, by I the way. I don't think we do, exactly. Yeah. I mean, we do, I mean, we do, we love you. I think we say that, we've started saying that at the end of every episode. Yeah. Just about, but we do, it's true. All right, well done, Kate. We'll see you next week for see you next week. another story. Wee! Bye. Have a great week. Love yous. Bye bye. That's a wrap. Big shout out to everyone for tuning in to Shit and Bricks. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us. Plus, you can find extra little nuggets on our socials. Next week, we'll be back talking more shit, so do not forget to tune in. And remember to wipe, flush, and wash your hands. Goodbye. Goodbye.